When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey, bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order! Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Warning, creators of this game do understand the subject matter may be offensive to some, but they do honor the families and people that have been affected by these real-life tragedies that these individuals have caused. Wanna play a game? Oh yeah! Lover of true crime? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we got an interesting game for you to check out. Wow. With the mashup of influences such as horror movies, collecting cards, and RPGs. What? Led to giving birth to an incredible creation of this game. Killers, the card game. You are all my children now. This game is a collectible trading card game featuring some of the most infamous killers with tidbits of trivia on the back of each card to help you learn some insight to each criminal. Who the hell are you? Let's not forget, during the game, cops will be chasing you and these criminals. I'm a cop, you idiot! However, check out their website listed through all social media today, which can be found under Killers, the card game. Am I on the internet? I want to play a game. Hi everyone, this is David Sanctious. You're listening to Crazy Train Radio. your least favorite host in a podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this 
next guest is a returning guest, and he happens to be a world-renowned performing and recording artist that was part of the original E Street Band with Bruce Springsteen. However, he has toured and recorded with many musical heavyweights, such as Peter Gabriel, Sting, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Santana, which, like I said, pretty extensive list of musicians. He has written, produced, and performed groundbreaking <laughs> music of his own in the band Tone that mixes rock, fusion, gospel, everything else. Welcome back, David Sanchez. David, how are you doing, sir? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. And you got a couple different things going on. Uh, yeah. And there's just so much to dive in with you, but let's start off the first one. You have an event in Jersey with Will Calhoun, who is the drummer and multi-Grammy winner himself yeah. from Living Color. And that's right. going to be taking place on January 6, 2023. Right. At the Vogel Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey. Yes. Yeah. So with this event, what are you going to be doing exactly? Yeah. What we're going to be doing, actually, is a very kind invitation from the people who run Bruce Springsteen's archives. And I'm going to be part of a panel on the 7th of January celebrating the 50th, 50th excuse me, uh, anniversary of um, Bruce's first album, Greetings from Asbury Park. And they very kindly offered me uh, a concert in the space whereby um, they're going to be preparing for the next uh, E Street Band project. So uh, that's that's sort of the one thing. But in terms of fundraising, actually, there's another project that, um, and, and of course, I'll be that's all, that's all around. There's Will Calhoun and myself. Uh, so it's so this concert at the Vogel on on the sixth is kind of the uh, not the recreation, but the sort of the the beginning again of this project that Will and I started in 2018 called Open Secret. And you can find us on the internet. We did. Um, you can see if you type in Open Secret, David Sanchez, Will Calhoun. We did about an eight-city tour of uh, the Northeast back in 2018, uh, you know, pre-COVID and all that. And we were able to uh, record it all, and it, it worked out perfectly. So COVID came, that stopped me and a lot of other people from doing all kinds of things, right? So uh, this opportunity came along, and we're going to use this as the first a sort of concert to to reinvigorate our open secret project. So hopefully we'll be doing, we'll do this concert uh, in Red Bank and that'll be live. We're going to record it, of course, as I record everything <laughs> that I do musically. And uh, hopefully in the springtime of next year, we're going to do another, you know, probably a Northeast sweep um, of, of the States as open secret. And we have enough material I think we will actually have enough material material for two live albums. Plus, we have some things that we did in the studio before I moved from Woodstock, New York, to uh, Hawaii. So, um, yeah, that's that's what that's that particular project is about. And the other thing I was reading about, 
because we know everything on the internet is true. And huh. it, what, <laughs> right. <laughs> particularly the thing I was reading, I wasn't sure if we had missed it or what the status was, right. but it was a little more personal. And right. I don't know if it was from this latest swing you were when you were back in the Northeast mm-hmm. uh, for Bruce on the tonight show and all, but mm-hmm. there was a community fundraising project for yes. a weatherproof concert piano. Yeah. And it's going to be honored. It was honoring both yourself and your mother and my dear mother. So all that is true. Now, here I go being very, very, I was born in 1953. So you'll excuse me. Now there's all kinds of links to this stuff, but what he's talking about is this project from the Belmar arts council, the Belmar arts center. And I got a call from, from these folks in Belmar, my hometown. And what they plan to do is to honor my mother who taught me how to play the instrument and, and myself, uh, as being one of the members of the E Street Band. Oh, I'll stop that. It's so silly. But there's me in the poster. I'll give you the link to it, actually. If you just go to uh, www.belmar, with one L, B-E-L-M-A-R-A-R-T-S.org. If you go to that site, you can see all the information about the project and what it's, you know, how it came to be and what they mean to do. But basically, the, the town very kindly um, called me uh, sometime earlier this year and said, look, we want to honor yourself and your mom um, with this instrument. There's such a thing. And this is another thing. I didn't know this existed. This company in Israel has created this device. It's a digital waterproof piano, right? So it's a, waterproof. It's weatherproof. It's, a, it's an incredible instrument. And there's only about four of them in the world now. And so that was their idea to sort of put this thing in the middle of town, in the town square. It's called Piano Plaza, ironically, ironically again, P-Y-A-N-O-E, Piano Plaza. But there's going to be this instrument um, there, and it'll be open to the public to use and to enjoy. And uh, it will be around for years. It is is uh, um, impervious to the weather of all kinds. It's actually a digital piano in a concrete shell. And it has USB uh, drives and capability. What I can actually do or what a person could do with permission, you could record audio, which I'm going to do. I'm going to load it up with audio myself. And by simply importing a USB stick into the instrument, it will play itself. It will play itself of what myself and and, and other artists can uh, can input into it. But it's a very kind gesture to, uh, I think it's meant to be, it's already passed, but it's meant to be about the 150th, uh, excuse if I get that wrong too, um, the anniversary of the town of Belmar itself, where I grew up in Belmar, New Jersey. If you'll forgive me about numbers and all that kind of stuff, if I don't have that right. But uh, the actual anniversary has passed, but this has been a plan in the works for a while. So if you go to that site, uh, www.belmararts, B-E-L-M-A-R-A-T-R-S.org, you can find out all the information about the project and you can make a donation to um, to purchase the instrument. And um, they're holding a bunch of, uh, I think maybe it was yesterday, they had a fundraiser uh, on the beach in Asbury Park to raise funds for it. And um, it's going to be an ongoing thing. So. Uh, any and all um, contributions are incredibly appreciated and uh, and and most welcome. 
A thank you in yeah. advance, anyone and everyone who's going to contribute to make that happen. Yeah, I think it was like the sixth that they did something, and that's what I was reading. But yeah, yeah. I want to take a moment since I mentioned as part of this project that they're doing. Yeah. Honoring you and your mother. So mm -hmm. if we could take a second here before we continue with the fun, talking the fun stuff. I'd like to know a little bit about your mom. You said she trained you and taught you to play the piano. Mm -hmm. And I got to know you a little bit during our last conversation last year, whatever it was. But what can you tell me about your mom? Because obviously to make it a generational thing and to do what you've done musically because of those lessons she gave you. Well, gosh, what can I say about my mom? My mom was uh, just an amazing human being. And I, I, if you see anything of quality coming out of me in this world, in my experience of being in this world and doing things, she's largely responsible for it. Um, my mother was a school teacher by trade. She was not a piano teacher. There, I read some publicity somewhere that got that wrong, but... She taught school. She taught primary school grades from, uh, I think, from fourth grade up through eighth grade. And she worked in the uh, Neptune Township school system teaching. But she also happened to be able to play the piano, which I found out when I was about maybe five and a half years old. And we moved from Asbury Park to Belmar. And part of the sale of the house that we moved into on East Street, 1105 East Street, the owners had left a piano behind because they weren't interested in it. They didn't, you know, it was sort of just a piece of furniture for them. But, uh, you know, we walked into this house and I, at that age, my whole job and the move of the family from Asbury Park to Belmar was to collect my little box of toys and make sure it got out of the back of the car and into the house. And, as I was doing that, you know, my mother sits down at this piano in this uh, uh, an empty house, you know, uh, no furniture and everything and us with our boxes. And she starts playing like music. She starts playing like Chopin and Beethoven and it just blew my mind, you know. And so that was the start of my uh, uh, education about her, that she was a much more uh, interesting and powerful person that I had previously appreciated. And she um, just inspired me to uh, to, uh, to to get into music. She, neither of my parents ever sort of directed me or nothing approaching force at all because I was so already so crazy fascinated with uh, with music that no one had to uh, encourage me to practice or uh... in fact, they used to ask me to stop practicing <laughs> my family I'm the, I'm the youngest of uh, uh, of three boys and uh yeah once I got my hands on the piano and she my mom taught me for uh the first year and she was able to get me some really serious lessons with a uh, classical virtuoso named James Connell who uh, was not able to make a living as a professional classical recital pianist and he therefore ended up teaching uh art in the school system in Neptune New Jersey which is how my mother met him but she got, this guy was amazing. He was really an incredible player. And uh, she got me lessons with him. I think I studied with him from about the age of five until 13, somewhere in there. And uh, yeah, that's sort of the foundation of uh, 
you know, how I got, got started in it all. Now you mentioned, and I was aware of this as well, being the youngest of three boys, did your older brothers take into music like you did or were they into other things? Uh, not professionally. They did definitely into music. It's funny. The whole family was musical in a way, but I'm the only one who wanted to or attempted to be professional at it at, on an instrument, you know. But uh, my mom played piano. My father, I found out many, many years later, could play the piano, but he never did. That's a whole other weird story that I found out. Uh, but my oldest brother played um, uh tenor saxophone it was very into jazz very into like uh jazz and avant-garde jazz my middle brother edward also played saxophone and guitar and i started playing piano first and then when i was around i think seven years old seven or eight years old somewhere uh my dad turned me on the bb king and i just thought that was fabulous i was i just loved the way the bb king played and that was my interest to sort of get into between bb king and folk music you know i really i enjoyed folk music because coming from a coming from a tradition of like when you're when you're young and you're learning classical music classical music is it's, it's on two levels there's a certain physicality that you have to learn in order to play the music there's certain exercises and things you have to do to be even able physically to play a piece like by Bach or Beethoven or Mozart and all that. So there's that you have to get together. You have to harmonically understand a certain amount of music in order to be able to reproduce it, to memorize it. But what I loved about the blues and folk music uh, was that there, as a form, it's much more simple, you know, and it's equally enjoyable. You know, there's you can get as much bliss and beauty out of a, a song that has like four chords in it you know, and a nice melody, as you can if you learn how to play like a a, a sonata or, a, you know, a, a longer, more involved piece of music, because it's all beautiful on some level, you know, that's, that's how it's sort of, uh, that's how I process it. It's all, it's all beautiful. It's just the same beauty in different forms. It's like the same energy that's got maybe it's got a different shirt on today or it's got a it's got a different appearance but at the end of the day it's all the same whether it's this most magnificent symphony you ever heard or the simplest you know two chord song you know um, you ever heard it is all the same essence at the end of the day so in that in that sense it's all beautiful now i play a little bit a couple different instruments and mm -hmm. but i figured it be appropriate to ask you because you've been around the business so long, but also have played even longer since you started playing as a child with the blues there. Why does it feel like there's more freedom with that style of music compared to others? So, do you question again? Just phrase it one more time. I was curious to know your opinion on why it feels like there's more freedom with blues compared to, like you oh. said, a Beethoven or, you know, your oh, classical well, music and other structures. Yeah. Well, it's more, I think the white word is freedom. There's more, there's more access in because it's a simpler form of music. When, if you're dealing with the blues, you're dealing with about four or six chords, you know, maximum. So, it's not that there's more freedom, it's it's an easier way in 
to the party, you know, to really just totally enjoy yourself because there's less that you have to intake as as your mind, as as music theory, as physical ability, you know. Uh, so yeah, I think that's I think that's the answer to your question. It's it's easier because it's an easier access because it's not as demanding physically or mentally, I guess. Now, obviously, and I didn't realize this before when we chatted, but there was an opportunity that you played with Seal and yes. actually recorded an album with him in Vancouver. And yes. the story I heard, at least, was that he was very open to setting up the arrangements. So for you who has played with so many great musicians, mm. does that make your job easier when he says, or whoever you're working with says, all right, this is what I'd like to accomplish, but throw stuff at me. What are you thinking? You know, making, contributing to the process. Yeah. Well, that one particular project, I worked with Seal for about three years uh, from, I think, 90, let me tell it right. Was it 96, 97, 96, 97, 98? In the late 90s, but three years. And, that whole project was like a sort of masterclass of a recording session. So what was really special about it was, yes, to answer your basic question, he was very open to uh, ideas about arranging his music, totally open. And the way that we did that session, I remember uh, I had gotten home from Paris on a, a whole other little small touring project. And I, I got home and I checked my phone machine and, there was a message on it from Tony Levin. And Tony said, hey, David, I hope you don't mind, but I gave your phone number to this producer. Uh, what was his name? Stuart. He produced Simply Red. Um, Stuart Levine. And he said, I hope you don't mind, man, but I gave your number to Stuart. He's, he's going to produce the next SEAL record. And he was curious as to whether you'd be interested in being involved. So I said, Tony, not only do I not mind if you give my number to a record producer producing a major artist on the planet. Yeah, that's absolutely will never be a problem. And yes, I'm very interested in being involved in it. So then I get a call back. And uh, that was the start of, uh, it was called Human Beings, that album. Okay. And we did it in Vancouver. And it's special for me, not only because it was a great chance to work with an artist that... Uh, that I love. I mean, the first time I heard Seal do anything, I was like, this is, you know, he's, he's special. It was fantastic. But that's where I met my wife. That's where I met my wife of a, of 25 years of, of a, a marriage in that I met her in that city because of that project, actually. But that's too long a story and diverse. You don't, you don't have enough time to get into that. That's so long. But uh, the way that we did that record was like that seal would set up in the middle of the room uh i forget the name of the studio in in vancouver now but it was just the top studio there so he would come out and he would be on like a stool and he would have his guitar and his notebook with lyrics and everything and the studio had set us up so that we were kind of in a, a sort of semicircle around him you know, there was a drum that Vinnie Colaiuta was on drums and then I'm sort of there. We were kind of stationary, but then Tony, uh, 
There's another guitarist, Hector um, uh, Perazuta. Hector Peruta, excuse me. Hector Peruta, brilliant guitarist. And uh, Michael Landau on electric guitar. And then Seal. And so he would bring out the song and sort of just play us the song in a simple form. But after that, it was kind of like, yeah, what do you feel? Like he didn't have, he had he had definite ideas about feel, but he didn't have a sort of such a concrete idea that you couldn't come up with something. So in other words, okay, he just showed us a song. Now we all know the chords, you know, Tony knows the bass notes, I know the chords, Mikey knows the chords, the other guitar player knows the chords. But now it's like, well, what's the groove, you know? Okay, and Vinny being a genius, you know, would come up with some appropriate groove. And it's sort of built like that. And then sounds, okay, well, that's the groove. I know the chords, what kind of sounds? What do you think this should sound like? And then I'm there like on a synthesizer, which has the whole library of every sound in the Milky Way galaxy, you know? And then outside, do my thing add to it. Tony does his thing. And, and it was it was just like that. And so it came together kind of in a very organic, very musical way. And then uh, Stuart Levine, we had the, you know, he would sort of, of course, producing it, sort of oversee it and, you know, give heads up or heads down on the direction. And it was all going in great directions. So that was a very, uh, that was a fun project, you know, that done that way. The only other, not the only other, but another project that I had done very similar was with Sting in 90, 91, the Soul Cages and Ten, no, it's a Ten Sumner's Tales album, 92. Soul Cages was overdubs for me. It was basically done. I came in and sort of, you know, finished it off. But Ten Sumner's Tales was a similar situation. You know, Sting would be in the middle of the room and we would set up around him and he would just, here's the, here's the chords, and here's the tempo how everybody would contribute and you know you arrive at something nice well you mentioned about doing stuff on a synthesizer there in a recording setting mm -hmm. but like i mentioned in the beginning and people that know your career you've toured extensively with so many people what is the biggest difference for you in looking for an instrument whether you're recording versus playing out on the road because it's a lot of travel the wear and tear and just it's two different forms to have instruments so do you understand where i'm going with that yeah you're asking what's my preference of, of instrument or what am i looking for in an instrument in order to choose it to do a project kind of yes thing? whether okay. it be recording versus touring yeah i'm looking for physical durability and what I've found over the years is that there's a few companies who make synthesizers. Uh, I'm going to say, excuse me for leaving anyone out, but not exclusively this, but uh, Yamaha makes excellent synthesizers, and so does the uh, company Korg, okay? In my opinion, for a commercially... Now, there's all kinds of custom things you can get. There's software you can buy that you can control from any keyboard that has nothing to do with either of those two companies, Yamaha Corp. But your question as to what instrument am I gonna choose when I'm gonna be on the road for like months, right? This thing is gonna be in a flight case and travel around the world and be set up and all this kind of stuff. The first thing we do is when I choose what instrument I'm gonna use is we get two of them. 
right? And the job of my technician on a tour like that, whether it's with Stan or Peter Gabriel or, or whoever, the job of my technician is to make sure that the memory of the instrument is that the spare is, is memory is made identical at the end of every sound check. Because you're working. So we do a sound check. We're playing Chicago and we've already rehearsed and done the set list. So Sting, Sting is a good example because he sometimes has a lot of ideas on the fly and you'll make subtle changes. Okay, now we're not going to do it this way. Arrangement has changed and maybe there's some sound that's there now that wasn't there. Okay, I pop that in. So now it's all right. It's on my text job to make sure that that gets copied into the spare so that should you ever need the spare, it's automatically identical to the last show memory you did. You know, it's a weird kind of, it might sound a little hyper-technical, but it's super important on a tour. You know, you cannot just have one version of what you're using every night because things go wrong, things break, you know, and something can happen. And what you want to do is make the time between a problem on the stage, whether it's your bass drum pedal, you know, have you ever seen that? Like a drummer's playing along? Oh, bass drum pedal's fucking shot, okay? So there's a few seconds where the technician has to get another bass drum pedal. So for a few seconds, you don't have any bass drum until as quickly as you can fix that, you know, kind of thing. Pow, you're in your back end. But you want the time between when things are... Uh, being adjusted because there's a problem physically or sonically, you want that to be as short as possible and get right back into the show. So, you know, in a, in a case like that, bass drum pedal, that's physical, it's not digital. That's about a, a few seconds. If that's the problem, oh, the thing is dead. And there's a guy waiting there with the replacement and boom, he's on the stage. You move your foot out of the way, they pop it in and boom, you're back on. In the case of a synthesizer, if, if that got somehow... Uh, you know, totally, I don't know, fried or something or something like that. The spare is there. It's, it's like a surgical operation. There's two guys who come, they lift, they pull out plugs, they put the thing off, get it off stage. And then the same thing, they put the copy of it back on, pop in the plugs and pow, you're on your way again, you know? Well, it's definitely great that you are, or not just you, but it's very <laughs> well-tuned and organized. I never actually answered your question, but my preference okay. is that I found over the over the years, I found that Yamaha synthesizers are the most physically reliable instruments on a concert tour type situation where you're going, you're going, you say you're in America, your stuff is in flight cases and it's probably on the ground, you're traveling around. You go from America to Europe, it's on a plane sometime, and then pow, and then you're in next territory. I'm saying that because I find that Yamaha instruments, because they are in the in the business of making pianos, okay? So what is a synthesizer at the end of the day? It's basically, it's a digital version of a piano. What's identical about a piano is the actual key bed, right? The key bed that you're touching to generate the sounds that come out of this thing. Yamaha has this tradition of building it so strong and they've, they've figured out a way to make it feel, in my humble opinion, having played, you know, acoustic piano since the age of five, it is the most realistic feel of uh, a synthesizer. So when you're touching the key bed, it feels like, again, it feels like you're playing a piano. 
What's that important about that, Dave? What's important is about that. You can bring all your physical technique that you spent years building up and learning on the acoustic piano, you know, like grand pianos, like seven foot, nine foot pianos. You can bring all that dynamic um, technique to the synthesizer and it will hold up. It will be right there. It will feel like you're playing a piano and you'll be able to do everything from your strongest, you know, triple forte, you know, to your gentlest, you know, triple pianissimo. It'll all be right there and it'll feel really nice. And I cannot say the same thing for every other uh, manufacturer of, of, um, of synthesizers. I can't, I can't vouch for the quality. I mean, I've played, yeah, I'm not going to badmouth, but I, I already told you my favorites, but I played the other one that I mentioned and it didn't survive the trip from United States to Canada for rehearsals. We pulled it out of the case and it was all wonky and it just didn't feel like it had the ability to stand up to your own uh, ability to play the thing. So that's what I find. But I have to say though, Again, as far as commercially bought synthesizers, I think the memory, uh, if you buy a Yamaha synthesizer, like a Motif or a Montage, I, I, use the, I always use the most current version of Yamaha's stuff, which is now the Montage. I use that live. But if you were to purchase um, a Korg, uh, Kronos, that's got an incredible sound library in it. You know, It's very valuable as an instrument sonically, but in my opinion, it doesn't hold up as well physically uh, on a concert tour as well as the Yamaha synth does. Now, what about, say, for your home studio and such? Are yeah. you still a guy that will purchase oh, the same Yamaha? Thing. Same exactly. thing? Yep, yep. The same thing, yeah. And same thing I'm not knocking same. any of the other companies either. I'm not going to. Oh, no, Yamaha's no, your first. Yeah, no, we're not knocking anyone. Yeah. yeah. So, obviously... I saw some videos and I'm going to share the links for them as well. Cause they're on YouTube and everything. You were involved with Bruce for his latest project and you were on the Jimmy Fallon show. Right. So coming from Hawaii where your home base is now right. and making these multiple trips with, mm -hmm. because we're talking 14, 15 hours and playing no, no, switches. No, no, no. It's not that it's not that's not that long. I think it's a it's an eleven hour trip. Wow. Have to go from I'm on the island of Kauai. So I have to go from Kauai, from Kauai to uh Honolulu. Yeah. And I go straight from Honolulu to New York. So it's it's eleven hours. It's not it's not fifteen or fourteen. It's not that bad. It's long. Uh, it's what I do for a living, man. I've been I've been doing plane flights since you know the late seventies, early early eighties, all over the place. You know, it's a long flight. Try going from Los Angeles to Dubai, or go yes. from New York to New York to New Zealand. Those are long flights. <laughs> but okay, it's just part of it, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, lucky I'm, for you, I'm, I didn't realize I'm, there was a. But ahead, I personally, sorry. but you're talking to a person who I love to travel. You know, and these kind of situations, man, I'm not traveling economy. These are, it's a condition of employment. I'm like first class or on a private plane, you know, with the artist who's hired me. So, you know, and flying by myself, that's, a, that's a, again, a condition of employment. You'll sort me out, but, you know, I won't be sucking wind in seat 18H 
You know, I'll be like comfortably in first class. And that makes all the difference. I'm saying all that just to say that, you know, when you're when you're flying as comfortably as you can, it makes the whole experience much more enjoyable. And I love traveling. I love being in different countries, uh, experiencing different cultures, different food. I have a lot of friends all over the world since all the years. I have friends and family who live in in uh, in England. I have friends in France, Germany, Italy. Um, so anytime I get to to do that, I, I really enjoy it. Appreciate it. Yeah, I remember during our first uh, chat, we were talking about your time in Italy, and there was an artist over there you worked with several occasions. And Jupiter. Jupiter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were talking about the food and everything else uh, over there. But yeah, unfortunately, a few times I slept out to Honolulu as a teenager, it was I was back by the can in 27C, you know, so oh, yeah, yeah. my, my trip wasn't as comfortable. I've been there too on my own dime, you know. I know what it's like, I'm just saying, but yeah. Yeah. Experience. yeah. But how was your experience with being on The Tonight Show in that recent oh, appearance? Man. That was so much fun, first of all. It was so much fun. It was, for me personally, a bit of a reunion because of, the whole COVID situation, I had not been in a room with other musicians live like that since August of 2019. The last time I was in a room with other musicians playing like that was the end of a tour with a project I did called Moshalu with uh, some jazz musicians, uh, Dennis Chambers, Jeff Berlin and uh, Oz Noy. And we had done like a run of like, we did five music festivals in Europe in the summer of uh, 2019. And the last show was in Germany. And that was the last time that I was like in a room with other humans physically playing. Uh, we moved, my wife and I moved to Hawaii in January of 2020. You know, probably March 2020 came along, boom. That's the, it was the shutdown of everything. So that whole project uh, was super special for me. And, you know, not just for that reason, but any any chance to do anything with Bruce. And we've always stayed in touch over the years. Long after I left the band, um, he always invites me back into projects that he's doing, you know, which I, I just, I love. So this was another one, man. We had uh, two rehearsals in New York City at, at a rehearsal studio. And then we had, uh, and there was a gap of like, I think 12 days in between the first and second rehearsal. And then we had two days at NBC Studios, a Monday and Tuesday, recording the four songs. But, you know, I got to say all of it, as far as what the experience was like, it was just, it was so easy and beautiful. It was so well organized. Uh, you know, his Bruce's staff, his whole, you know, the technical staff, the management, everything was so well organized that it was, um, we didn't need any more than that. You know, we had two rehearsals for four songs uh and then for two days in nbc and everything just went like flawless it was great and it's such a nice bunch of people now i'm told i'm told by the man himself that uh we are going to do more of that and there's going to be some more uh, uh live music with that ensemble that you saw on the tonight show uh, which is great so i'm looking forward to that and um yeah, it was just a just a dream of a project. Lovely human beings. Everyone's so talented. Um, everyone played so well. And again, they they we were so well prepared. 
for it, that it was just a, a, a lovely, um, just a lovely experience. Now, I want to interject Ed from Texas, if we can, and if he wants to. I see Edward Five. There's a blank square hanging yes. out. Yeah, because he has been a big supporter of the show and actually recently helped with some of the new equipment we will be getting. So, Ed, do you have any questions before I do my last couple here? Oh, yeah. Hey, you know, it's great to uh, meet you, I guess. Um, sorry for the lack of uh, image here. Um, yeah, I was going to say, can you show yourself? No, it's like super dark where I'm at. And my uh, coworkers always get frustrated when I refuse to get on camera because it's just super dark. I did it and they think I'm in the witness protection agency or something. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> but hey, man, so I mean, like you've seen it and done it all, right? You've traveled the world. You played with some amazing musicians as well, worked on some of the greatest recorded music, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, you name it, right? Is there any particular project that you're like super proud of as your like crowning achievement, your highlight reel? Uh, this is what I'm most proud of. Wow. I couldn't, I, that's really hard to say because I never feel like I'm done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not finished. I, I can't say that I've, I never felt like I'm going to, like there was a goal that like, oh, if you just get there, that'll be, you can just go, made it, you know? I just don't feel like that. Uh, I'm always interested in like going deeper and deeper into it. There's been a few standout tours in all that touring, I got to say, Um I mean, I the the sort of I think five years in a row from like let me let me get it right from ninety one to ninety five four or five years touring with Sting we had some incredible shows uh, so some of those tours were amazing and I remember uh, the two thousand and one tour with Eric Clapton where that was a whole year long project. I got, I thankfully, what I like about that project was it, that's in the top three, I, I would say, of all um, touring things on that level for me. Uh, the this, this stuff with uh, some of the Sting stuff, that particular year with, uh, with Eric Clapton 2001, because it was so well documented, you know, you could get it as a whole project. It was like a five camera shoot in high definition. It was a double album. And uh, he was just particularly himself. He was on fire that tour. And it was Steve Gadd, uh, Nathan East, Andy Fairweather Lowe, myself. Um, and, and we had, at one point, we had Billy Preston for the American part. He was meant to do the whole year with us, but he had a, he had a problem with the government. He couldn't leave the United States, but... Uh, part of that tour has um, uh, Billy Preston in the stage. And I got to say, now I was, of course, a huge Billy Preston fan, you know, from from the minute you heard Billy Preston. So to get a chance to actually play with him, uh, even though it was brief, it wasn't like for the whole year, but we had the best time together. And if you see the film, the way we were set up on stage, we're on the opposite side of the stage, but... The stage monitoring on that project was so excellent. It was like you were living in like, you were playing it live, but the audio was so good. It was like a perfectly mixed live album that you were like taking part in, <laughs> heard everything. And we had great visual contact, Billy and I, and we could hear each other 
in our monitors. And it was just just such a joy to play with him. And in off stage, you know, we got to hang out and talk and, and uh, it was like hanging out with your cousin or something. We just, we had the, the greatest time. Yeah, that's cool, man. Hey, do you have about, anything else? Yeah, I was going to ask, you talked about travel. Is there any particular um, country or city that you enjoy visiting? I really enjoy going to Italy. I got to say, uh, it's a beautiful place. I have many, many fond memories of being there with my wife. Uh, you know, when you tour like that, there's a lot of time away from home. And you can't, of course, always have your significant other be with you all the time because they have their own like work life and work schedules. But what you can work out sometimes on projects like that is if you're in a particular cool place for like multiple days. So you find yourself over in Italy for like, you know, a week or something or five days consecutive or something. There's opportunities to bring a person into your world for a while and have them be with you and experience your time off in a place. There's nothing like days off in Italy. I can tell you, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and and then they can also experience the concert and all. And then at some point when you move on to the next, you know, now you're off to Germany or Japan and then they will go back to where they, uh, you know, where they came from. But I have many fond memories of being in Italy uh, uh, with, with my wife and, and enjoying the country. The food is outrageous, of course. You won't find, <laughs> you won't find better food on the planet. And um, yeah, so I, I, that springs to mind instantly. But um, yeah, Italy. Sold. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll get out of your hair. Hand it over. Thank you, Edward. I appreciate that. You always usually have good questions with uh, whatever the guest is, whether it be the watch-alongs or things like this. But it certainly has goes to show that those walking those eight miles from Belmar to Asbury Park that <laughs> David would do yeah. brought him to this point. Yeah, who would have ever thought? How about that? You know, and it sounds it sounds like sort of romantic or heroic at the time when you're that young and it's summertime in New Jersey. What else have you got to do? It was like it was like the easy it's a straight line. It wasn't like I had to make subway connections in the middle of the night. It was just like get on Main Street and make a you know make a right turn and just walk straight until you get there and pow. So but yeah, it sure did. It was quite a, a fateful um a particularly fateful night, the night that I walked there and and, and uh, actually met Bruce and got into a jam session with him. So, but, yeah. Yeah, and Gary Talent, who was the bass player, made the introduction, and sure that did. story's been told. But yeah. two more questions for you. And things have even changed since we talked last, and you were talking a little bit about it with on tour with your equipment and such. But from the time you started professionally to where we sit currently, mm -hmm. what has impressed you the most technology-wise on a music standpoint? I think what's impressed me the most is the, the quality of the software. The quality of the software that's available for professional musicians, composers, musicians, engineers, audio engineers, real people who, this is what we do for a living. We we create and record audio 
mass produce it and put it out in the world. It's the quality of the software and the instruments that you have to work with. It's stunning. And also, not only is it stunning, for some, you know, market reason, it's less expensive than ever. Things still cost. I mean, you know, good gear costs money, but there's things that cost, you know, a, a fraction of they of they would have costed years ago. I'm talking about high quality um, digital devices. You know, you can still soak a lot of money on all kinds of stuff, but I mean, it's it's the quality of what we have to work with, and the fact that it is not as expensive as it once was. You can get yourself sorted out for a reasonable amount of money and and produce a high quality product. If you you have to know what you're doing, you know, <laughs> you know it. You have to have someone who knows it and will teach you how to you know use the software and how to what what's the right thing to buy and don't buy that, you know, and interface this with that and you know not vice versa. But yeah, yeah, shit. Come on, in the seventies, could you imagine we'd be on a video conferencing like I mean, we are right now? unbelievable no no wouldn't even pictured it but the last question i got for you and again you would have good knowledge on this with your experience what is it about the northeast i'd say from the 70s on whether it be jersey pennsylvania new york and all that the quality of musicians we've seen, whether it be yourself and Clarence and Bruce and, you know, there's just a list of people that you go within it, Patti LaBelle and whoever musically. And I know there's plenty that I'm forgetting right off the top of my head that come from this area of the Northeast. Yeah. Well, there's an opportunity for a joke, which maybe I'll make at the end of my, my remark to you, but you're right in the sense of if you track from the sort of Northeast, say, starting from like, uh, you know, Boston on down, uh, from Boston, people in Connecticut, New Jersey, I mean, there's various like uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, Whitney Houston, uh, there's so many, you know, Frank Sinatra, and then down to Pennsylvania, your Hall and Oates, all these, there's a lot, a lot of people. A lot, and I'm like you, I mean, I'm leaving out all kinds of people, but there's quite a lot. So here's the sort of cheap joke part of part of it, which doesn't really play out, is that why are there so many of you from there and why'd you all do so well? Mm -hmm. I would say because we all wanted to get out of here, get out of there. <laughs> I'm sure like, in Jersey, sure, but it wasn't the only one born to run. It was like <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's it. I'm, and I mean that that's not really true, but that's again, that's the sort of cheap joke part of it. Although I, I bet you, if you speak to John, and I know those guys, I know, um, I know Hall and Oates, I've recorded on a couple of their albums, and they're, they're sweethearts. At some point, when you're that age, everyone has the desire to, like, I, I want to get out of here. I don't, you know, I want to do what I'm doing, and I want to be like everywhere. I don't want to be in Philadelphia all the time. I don't want to be in just playing in the clubs in New Jersey, you know? I want to be in the world. So I, whether you want to connect that to a phrase of being born to run or not, there is there is a, a similar feeling of that. Like, you know, we want, to, we want to be everywhere. We want to be as good as we can be. We're from here and, you know, we very much intend not to stay here exclusively and to, you know, be in the world and do that. But yeah, it's just, 
it's just, I don't know. It's just some magical, uh, you know, God's grace, but it's a huge pool of talent. Uh, you're right, from the, from the Northeast on down. And from that particular era, so people of my generation and uh, and a little bit before and, uh, and a little after, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to put David's website out, but also going to put out the links to an evening with David at the Vogel January 6th, but yeah. also the community fundraiser that he mentioned uh, to honor both him and his mother, Stelma, you know, for the, the piano and everything else. Happy holidays, sir. Thank Enjoy you so yourself. Much. And hopefully you. I will see you on the 6th. All right. Fabulous. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. You know, Lord willing. <laughs> David, yeah. thank you so much for the time, sir. Thank you, man. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey you guys, this is Ali Pauline and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio.